What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We have special news for you. The forgotten men and women of our country will be forgotten no longer. Are you going to send me or anybody that I know to a camp? We have people that are stupid. Take the guns first, go through due process second. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. It's the Ricochet Podcast with Peter Robinson. I'm James Lilacs, and today Bethany and Seth Mandel. And oh, look, life is short, but the Rob is long. He's back. Let's have ourselves a podcast. Bye-bye. Welcome, everybody, to the Ricochet Podcast, number 391. And that one stands for one extra special person that you've been missing for an awful long time who we'll meet in just a sec. In the meantime, though, I have to tell you that the Ricochet podcast got this far because it's brought to you by the fine people at Texture. Why subscribe to just a couple of magazines when you can have all of your favorites on your smartphone or your tablet all of the time for way less money? Uh, With Texture, you get access to dozens for one low price. Right now, Texture is offering Ricochet listeners a 14-day free trial when you go to texture.com slash ricochet. And we're brought to you by Quip. When it comes to your health, brushing your teeth is one of the most important parts of your day, and Quip knows that. They've combined dentistry and design to make a better electric toothbrush. We'll tell you a bit more about that later. And we're brought to you by SaneBox. If at this very moment you are looking at your mailbox with a, a, a you know, five-digit number of unread letters, then you despair, don't. SaneBox is the easiest way to automatically organize your inbox and keep it that way forever. SaneBox sorts your emails for you, keeps the unimportant emails out of your inbox so you can focus on what matters. And we're brought to you also by Ricochet. I mentioned that there was one special individual who we've talked about in absentia for all these many months, and here he is to tell you uh, that you should give him money. Rob? Did I just did I just imagine that I heard Rob's voice no, earlier? No, no, you heard me. I was I was uh, briefly on mute, and I apologize. I was just muting myself as I. You know, it was un, it was an unusual experience for me to do a podcast. I was, I, I, I was just going to say technology. I was just going to say, when do you ever mute yours? That's that's extraordinary. <laughs> yeah, well, <clears throat> I mean, I do I do mute my, like right then. I would have muted my I have a cough button. I would have done I would have done so. Um, I am I, I am on. Uh, I mean, I'm here really because I'd like to. Yeah, you know, I like. I want to join in with my pals, but I also want to remind people that uh, Ricochet, the podcast you're listening to and we hope enjoying, and the podcast network that I hope that you're enjoying and exploring, we have a lots and lots and lots of great offerings. Um, it is member supported, and we need you. And uh, I say this all the time, and 
Uh, sometimes people respond, but often they don't. And I think what happens is people put it off. It is now is a great time for you to join Ricochet uh, for a couple reasons. One, because we really, really need it. Uh, we do need to grow. We do need to keep paying our payroll. We want to add a few more podcasts. We want um, members to feel that they are part of this growing um, network. Second thing is the site Ricochet itself. We hope you can go go and check it out. We are still flying the flag, the only flag, I think, one of the very few flags on the Internet for civil, polite conversation. Um, it is a swamp out there, we know, uh, but I believe that Ricochet is a place that doesn't have the swampy attitudes that you find all over the web. You, as a listener of this podcast, need to make a stand, need to join. We really want you to do that. It's not expensive. It is a incredibly incredibly valuable um if you join us at the podcast level which is i think 250 a month uh, um you will be helping us immeasurably of course there are better level the higher levels than that but uh why don't we start you at the low level and um i know that we will uh, earn your long-standing membership james and peter and i are members along with you and um we'd be honored to have you with us that's it let's not make the point though that civil means boring some people might say that civil means – I say that Trump is a ghastly fellow, isn't he? Would you like to say? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> to, which, right. to which somebody else says, yes, oh, indubitably he's the worst of sort. And I think that <laughs> – no, I mean a couple of weeks ago we had a, a, an enthusiastic dust-up twixt Peter and Charlie Sykes. And that spilled over into the comments in which people were re-exploring, shall we say, the issues that were raised during the podcast. But it, it, it was – I mean, it was divisive as much as the Republican side is divisive today. But yeah. there are always things that you come back to: uh, the fate of the nation, fate of the civilization, common language of our politics, et cetera, that that binds us together. And so that's the difference between civil and uh, just dull. It's not dull. Lord knows, Ricochet isn't dull. Well, and, and, Rob, yeah. yes, go on. Yes, no, I was. Gonna, I have. A, I have an anecdote to relay, but I think we should. We should say hello to Peter first. Hello, boys. How are you? It's very, very good to be back. I guess I've missed two weeks' worth, one week's worth. I've been traveling. And if, uh, so, James, it's good to talk to you again. And, Rob, it's extremely good to talk to you, uh, to have the chance to talk at you, because I have a long list of comments you've made on Block <laughs> podcasts where it seems to me you may be in need of just a touch of remedial uh, education. However, first, in Ray, the matter of my dust-up with Charlie Sykes, good Lord. I had no idea it would produce so many comments and produce such a deep feeling. I viewed it as uh, uh, the kind of dust-up that you get between two professional yakkers. And uh, Charlie and I uh, remain cordial, even though we got – well, I have to say he did get my dander up. That was clear to everybody. But, but if, I, if, if that exchange truly offended people, if I offended anybody, I hereby issue – an apology. It's, I know it's a weak, mealy-mouthed apology if I offended you because I, I listened to it again and I didn't, it struck me as pretty well within the bounds of discourse between professional yakkers. And here's the one point. It was unbelievably ba- unlucky that I had to drop off before the end of that segment. This apparently annoyed people more than almost anything else, but I promise – that I had told Scott Immergut, I beg your pardon, I had told Blue Yeti the night before that I had a meeting to go, I have a, I have a paying job, and there are moments when it actually takes precedence over my beloved Ricochet, and I just had to drop off. So, yeah, I had one of those Charlie Sykes. I, yeah, I had to leave during uh, when Larry, Dr. Larry Arn was on, and we were having a dispute about Trump, and I had to leave too because I had a hard you out. You got it to go. the same, the same hot was, water, right? Right. It's just, it was the same hot water. Well, he yeah. swanned off, he flounced away, he couldn't take it, and the rest of it. No, I mean it's fun to stay and engage, but uh, 
That's I, I understand you did not believe because you were steamed. Um, no. speaking, speaking of steam, though, Rob, um, let me ask you there in New York. And, and Peter, I have to ask, though, when you say you were traveling over the last week or yes. so, were you, were you yeah. shuttling between uh, you know, university enclaves of, of uh, bubble think <laughs> or, or were you actually out there amongst you the You know humans? he was. I spent six days for my many sins. I spent six days in Washington, D.C., and I learned something. I learned how lucky I am to, in this age of Trump to be living out here in California. It really is the case. I, I do. I truly do believe I became convinced by about day number four that back on the East Coast, people see things differently because Donald Trump is just in their faces, particularly our friends in journalism in Washington. Mm-hmm. I had dinner with Andy Ferguson. I ran into Bill Kristol. And Donald Trump is just in their faces day by day by day. If you're in the business now and now being in the business means paying attention right. to Twitter. And, oh, Lord. So I said, well, yeah, but taxes are oh, – I, I had a conversation with Senator Portman who had just returned from a week in Ohio. And he said, you know, in Ohio, of course, Donald Trump remains a polarizing figure. There are people who quite rightly think the man is a horse's backside and why can't we have more? All that granted. But in Ohio, the big news is that although it's less than three months old, the tax cut is already producing effects. So people right. see people see investment, new jobs, uh, it's just different when you're away from Washington. And I have this is an obvious point. But I had sort of forgotten how vivid, how lurid the whole Donald right. Trump show is minute by minute by minute when you're in Washington and in the business of journalism. I well, Rob, sort of, go ahead. Right, Rob, yeah. you're close. I, I, I mean, you're in New York. Shouldn't it be also sort of kind of in your face proximity wise? Well, it is. I mean, it is because I, I live in Manhattan, but I work in uh, on Long Island, not that far away. But they are two different worlds. I mean, they it are. does remind me of the old days when. And um, you look at a map of Los Angeles County and you discover that all of the sort of working class neighborhoods voted for, for uh, you know, were red and all of the pricey, fancy neighborhoods were blue. And this is sort of the opposite of the messaging of each each side. But yet it seemed to be the right appeal. I, I, the anecdote I want to share was I have to now couch in like uh, uh, in pseudonyms and things. But just speaking of D.C. itself, uh, an old friend of mine who is a very, very um, – you know, accomplished uh, economist and businessman and investor and has worked in Democratic administrations, is a proud Democrat, but, you know, moderate Democrat, like the normal Democrat, right? Uh, he, uh, I, I recently um, saw him in New York City. And he told me he was had spent some time in D.C. with some old friends who also had shared uh, time in Democratic administrations. And he was mm-hmm. saying, um, you know, he looked at the guy as a normal guy. He said, well, yeah, yeah, you know, you, I know, I understand the politics of hating the tax cut um, because it's, you know, you don't want to give the give a credit to the other side. I get it, but just between us, he said to his friends, we understand that the tax cut's fine, right? It's stimulative. Maybe we would change this or that, a little bits and pieces of it, um, but it's basically a stimulative tax cut, and it doesn't. It does this huge thing, which we never thought we could do, which is to remove. Um, the deduction for uh, for state and local taxes, right, for rich people, which is a big thing that no one ever thought they could do, uh, and that seems kind of fine. And the, and his friends looked at him like he was from Mars, and then he said, and also let's let's be honest about the the, the trade stuff. You know, there's a lot of a lot of there's a lot of uh, a sort of intellectual argument about getting tough on China. It's in, been in Foreign Affairs magazine twice in the past eighteen months. 
um, it's a, it is a mainstream idea. It's not it's not a freaky idea. Uh, maybe everything. Maybe we're all freaking out. We should just all take a you know chill pill. <laughs> and his friends, he said, erupted in screaming. Yeah. And he said it was crazy. He said he thought he had he thought he'd entered to some kind of psych ward. So I, it's interesting that we're looking at the divisions on the left uh, on the right, but I think there are divisions right. on the left too. Yeah. I. Do I have time for an, for a secondhand anecdote, James? Sure. <laughs> okay. So I mentioned that I had uh, dinner with our friend, and I say our friend because he's friends of all three of ours, Andy Ferguson, when I was in Washington. And Andy, again, Andy was sort of giving me an education about what it's like to be working in Washington in this moment. And he said, you know what it reminds me of? When I, Andy, first came to Washington, somebody introduced me to Harry McPherson. There's no reason anybody listening to this podcast will know the name Harry McPherson, but I did and Andy did because Harry McPherson was a speechwriter for Lyndon Johnson. And there was a club for many years for presidential speechwriters. Andy and I both attended and got to know, among other people, Harry McPherson. In any event, Harry and Andy had lunch a couple of times. And Harry McPherson, this is way back in the early 80s when Andy first came to Washington. And Harry said, um, here's one thing you need to know about the administ- that the era that preceded you and that Reagan seems to be changing. The bitterness of the 70s, even now, is very difficult to recall. But I, Harry McPherson, a longtime Democrat, can tell you that the Vietnam War broke down relationships between hawks in the Democratic Party and doves such that I lost friends that I didn't recover for years. It got to be the point that if a hawk and a dove saw each other in a restaurant, they wouldn't say hello. They'd turn their backs on each other and walk to tables as far separated as possible. And Andy said that he thought to himself at that time, that will never happen to us, to our side. And Andy said, you know, in this town, we're getting close to it. Republicans, conservatives, neocons, all of these people who've been making common cause for three decades now. And it's getting very, very rough in some circles to talk to each other. All right. So I thought to myself, wow, if Andy feels this, Andy, who is the warmest, most generous, most most for the best friend anybody could ever have. He, he, he hasn't lost friends, but he sees it happening. Uh, well, that means we just have to work. We just have to make absolutely certain it doesn't happen right here on Ricochet. It depends how much contempt one shows for the other side. I mean, if, if that's, were, if, that's if, right. That's, if, that's if you're the absolutely naked and calling the other side names right. and accusing them of being bad people who've sold out or who are too pure to live. That's exactly right. That's the point that, that the, that's both the sides be decided they were not only morally superior, but the other side was just evil. Can't yeah, let right. that happen. I'm surprised that the, there's a restaurant, a bar in in D.C. called The Hawk and the Dove. And I'm you know, I'm surprised it wasn't two rooms where people could go separately so they knew that they would be molested <laughs> by the exposure to the other side. But when you began it by saying that Charlie or I'm sorry, that Andrew and uh, Bill Crystal feel like Trump is in their face all the time. The funny thing is, is that Trump has no idea who Bill Crystal is. He has no idea who Irving Crystal is. He had no idea who, Char- who Andrew McFerguson is. He didn't even register. They sort of let him be in their face, in their head, because in the D.C. culture, he's the boss. He's the king. He's the lead spotlight guy under the prom light. He's, he's everything, right? Mm-hmm. Out here, not so much. 
when you talk about the atmosphere of the White House, the contentiousness, the roiling tides that are going through D.C. <laughs> right. I mean, that's when you go to D.C. and you experience it. It's fun and it's thrilling and it's insider and it's all of that. But you get outside, even I hate to say, Rob, even outside. Manhattan doesn't qualify as outside. You get out here. <laughs> right. None of that stuff matters. And hence, nobody cares. I mean, yeah. nobody cares. The- what if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. People who hate Trump are just as, you know, crazy and upset about him. But the the magnification right. and intensification, the way things boil down to that ichor in D.C. Right. does – I mean you drink that well, all the time. You get convinced that that's the way it is worldwide. Yeah, I, I think the uh, – it, 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 it all depends on – I mean the, the litmus test is if you, ha- if you react to the phrase John Podesta's emails – <laughs> and if you That's if you test, if you hear exactly. that yeah if you hear that phrase you think oh that, that <laughs> election hacking right right indeed so well listen guys um, we're going to go to our guest in just a second here but I would just like to let Rob um, then, uh, oh listen to that he's breaking out how charming uh, I was just going to tell Rob that there is no opportunity for him to step on a segue because I'm not going to make one I'm just going to go right into the ad. <laughs> Whoa! These are bad habits have 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 erupted since I was in production. Yeah, I'm out of, James, I'm out of production next week, so you got to up your game. Yeah. <laughs> Oddly enough, nobody missed it. Nobody missed having these carefully crafted. Oh, I got DMs and tweets, and I got I got a lot of there's a there's a lot of pushback. But go ahead. Oh, indeed. Well, I wanted, to interrupt. Tell, I wanted to tell you about texture. Um, if this is your last chance to interrupt, Rob. Three, two, one. No. <laughs> Oh, nice. Anyway, texture. We talked about this before. Because the interesting right? thing about interrupting. Oh, sorry. <laughs> All right, I'm on mute. No, 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 no. You just you know that you're buying yourself something like this that will be detonated, you know, months down the road. <laughs> I mean, I've accumulated so much justification. I mean, I just oh, pocket yeah. every little me? shot. You think you that I don't know that? I mean, I. I can literally go into a. I can. The Yeti will give me the opportunity to take a pre-recorded glop podcast and and imitate you and have you say all sorts of strange, horrible things. I have so much capital. I have so much just. You do. I do. But, but anyway. the question really is: the question yes. really is. I mean, what would you do if you wanted to? You know, um, 
you want to have unlimited access to 200 premium magazines. That's the question. Right. Well, I assume that you've done sponsorship. It's impossible. Literally impossible. Yes. You never have that. <laughs> right. And service doesn't uh, exist. Mm-hmm. Now, you see, the deal is, if you're going to be Ed McMahon, you have to do the spot yourself. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. Dude, as, the, as, the, as the most recent expert on civility here, boys, you're heading in the Charlie Sykes-Peter Robinson direction. Civility, boys. Civility. Yeah. Well, well it, it does go for me, me, me putting myself on mute because Texture is a fantastic product, and the, the, the best possible explanation <laughs> for why it is comes from James Lilacs. I'm as cool as a cucumber about this. I'm just – I'm like that car- cartoon character who's holding the boxer at bay with one hand and is exactly his <laughs> nails while the other guy's arms are flailing. <laughs> Rob is so off his game when it comes to this at this point. We really have got to get him back in shape when it comes to it. We do have to. We do have to. Anyway, anyway, I was talking about texture before I was so rudely interrupted. Now, when you want something to read, dependable political reporting, high-quality storytelling, or just the latest on culture and entertainment, magazines, we love them. They're great. They deliver it all with high-quality writing and beautiful photography. And you can get all of your magazines in one place now with texture. The Texture app gives you unlimited access to over 200 premium magazines. You can find oh, National Review, haha, read Rob and James too. On the Texture app, you'll find other well-known titles like Time, The Atlantic, The New Yorker. If you're looking for a break from news and politics, though, Texture's got you covered there too. Sports Illustrated, National Geographic, Forbes, Better Homes and Gardens, Entertainment Weekly, Food Network Magazine, Wired, and many, many more. 200 premium titles. I used to subscribe to Entertainment Weekly uh, years ago. It was fun just to keep up and know what's coming and going. And then it got expensive and it got boring, and I just pushed it away because it wasn't worth the money. But, hey, if you subscribe to Texture, and it's one of the many options you have, well, try Texture for free right now when you sign up at texture.com slash ricochet. It's normally $9.99 a month for 200 magazines. That's preposterous. Uh, but now you'll get a 14-day free trial at texture.com slash ricochet. One more time, 14 days to try Texture for free when you go to texture.com slash ricochet. And our thanks to Texture for sponsoring this, the Ricochet Podcast. And now we welcome to the podcast Bethany and Seth Mandel. Bethany is the part-time editor at Ricochet, senior contributor to The Federalist, columnist of the Jewish Daily Forward. That's a lot, but she's also a stay-at-home mother of three kids, four years old and younger. Uh, she's the co-host of that Sethany show and Lady Brains podcast. Seth is an op-ed editor at the New York Post, commentary magazine alum, and they're both the parents of three often discussed but never seen kids. You can follow <laughs> them both on Twitter. And we welcome you here to the podcast. How are things this fine morn? Uh, the kids all, they've, they've been fed their pancakes and, uh, you know, their bacon. And that would, oh, jeez. <laughs> so I, I was thinking of the sure breakfast I that I had, and I had to go right to that, didn't I? <laughs> we, do, we, we do beef bacon in our house, and that's, that's close enough. Good. You got them all cranked and ready and, and strapped so they can let you work. Let's talk, though. Parenting is off about talking about difficult things. My daughter is a senior in high school, and we have gun control discussions, which are contentious and emotional. And you recently wrote a piece about how to talk about uh, the Parkland students. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about it? Because Lord knows the first word of criticism gets you excoriated for being mean to the victims. Yeah, yeah. I barely remember that piece. I mean, I I think that what basically – the way that we need to talk about all these contentious issues is how I learned to talk to my husband when we were in premarital counseling and how to have fights because <laughs> I'm very good at fighting. Mm-hmm. And the, the trick that I learned was to sandwich. So you say a nice thing and then you say your point, but then you finish with a nice thing. Seth. And he falls for that? <laughs> Every time. 
<laughs> Wait, well, give me an example of that. That seems... Okay. So let's say I didn't love the way Seth put the groceries away. <laughs> Seth, thank you so much for helping me. I really appreciate it. The next time you put the eggs away, can you not put them where they might fall? I would love to be able to make you an omelet. Ooh. All I heard was, you're making me an omelet. Me an omelet. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. This, this, by the way, this conversation has literally never happened. I have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say, but I will so say that it's, it. it's a good, it's a good, it's a good um, practice because it is exactly how I was trained to be an editor. Was to to right. you know you, when you're dealing with writers was to do this was to do this to sandwich criticism to because they're generally speaking it's not even dishonest you know people write something and there's plenty of good stuff in it and um, you know writers tend to be uh, protective of their uh, of their egos and especially when they're young and starting out and so um, you know it's 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 probably a good uh, a good idea. Well, good writers are not exactly. I was going to say, I, I, I'm in network television, and network executives always begin every notes call or notes meeting with lots of great stuff in here. Really, really fun, fun, fun stuff. <laughs> you know, just really just two questions, really, not even just – and the questions, of course, are you know d- demands <laughs> that this or that be removed. So my uh, – so do, and does that work? Do you think that works with, with kids? Yeah, no, it works especially well with kids. I mean – just as just as men are suckers for that and women's are suckers women are suckers for that kids are suckers for that you want to hear the nice things and so if you slip in the the negative thing in the middle um we're all very easily manipulated if you play into our egos did you notice that bethany just did the reverse thing there she said men are suckers for this and women are suckers for this and children are suckers for this and in that case the one that wasn't true went in the middle Mm, that's true. That is interesting, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? And I could tell she didn't really mean it. No, um, no, exactly. No. It was a reverse sandwich. No, well, but is there? I mean, I mean, I'm just talking about teenagers now, just because we're talking about this subject. And I, then I'll shut up. But I, I, I have one question. I have sort of whiplash from the general media attitude towards young people, because before uh, Parkland, before that, the mass shooting, it was pretty much a hundred percent agreement that young people in high school. Uh, or even just in college, were morons, uh, dumb. Yeah, well, they've been eating entitled. Tide Pods. Yeah, eating Tide Pods. <laughs> they, they couldn't be dumber. Um, and even on the right, I mean, the right, you know, we thought that nothing couldn't be dumber than being a, uh, or or couldn't be more poorly educated, I should say, being a, a student on a college campus, being a student in a in a high school with a rampant political correctness and all that stuff. And then since Parkland, it's been. Sort of twenty four complete reversal that they are the future. They're they're brilliant. They are. We should let them vote. Uh, we we should raise the age for which they can buy a gun. But we should lower the age for right. which they can I like do that one. else. Um, and I mean, is that is it even is it even close to being real? And why do you think we are so obsessed with young people? Well, I mean, I think that advertisers are obsessed with young people, and so we've been conditioned to to think that you know who's 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 leading in the. In the, they always say coveted in the coveted eighteen to thirty four demographic or whatever. So I, I think that just um, in general, products are, are geared toward the younger generation, um, and so we just kind of have that in, in in our minds. But I, I think that the the thing about the Parkland kids, you know, at the Post, at the New York Post, 
Nicole Jeline is one of our columnists wrote a very interesting piece last week about this where she said that uh, what what she finds so striking about the Parkland students' willingness to engage in their and their their civic uh, activity in the wake of the shooting is that they are the generation that's known basically nothing but complete and utter government failure. They are the gener- they are the, the generation who who grew up knowing there was nine eleven on the national security front. There was the Iraq war. There was Katrina. There was the housing crash followed by the financial crisis, et cetera, et cetera, and on and on and on. And so I think – and then they and then they watched the 2016 election and the two, the, the two major parties put up candidates that were um, almost uniquely disliked by the electorate on both sides. So I think that, that you know, her point was that they've been watching the system just fall on its face. <laughs> so now they want to be part of the system and they feel right. like they can help it make a difference. But if you were standing on the sidelines and you were watching this, uh, you know, the, the older generations above you just do nothing but step on rakes, you would right. probably want to jump in as well. And I think that's what's happening here. And I also think that there's just an element of people throwing up their hands and going, well, you know, we can't, we can't seem to figure out what to do here. And, you know, these kids, they always fix my computer when it's broken. So maybe they know how to fix, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, gun control. I don't know. Well, yeah, uh, my generation was – Go ahead. Sorry. My generation went through the same thing worse. Uh, we had Vietnam. I mean, when I was growing up, there was the Vietnam failure, followed by the failure of Carter, by the, well, the failure of Nixon, of wage and price controls, of inflation, and the confiscation of gold, and then the crisis, you know, long lines at the gas station. I grew up during a period where authority could do nothing and was manifestly corrupt and obvious and evil and horrible. So that's not new. What's new yeah. about these kids and what we're seeing today, it seems to me, is that they have been granted absolute moral authority because they are properly emotional. If these kids uh, were coming out and saying, oh, you know, if these kids came out Spock-like and intoned a 14-point program for starting at the grassroots level, working up to the national level to repeal the, tw- the Second Amendment, uh, it would be a nice little civics lesson. Everybody would give them a round of applause. But when they ha- can have a couple of charismatic spokesmen who can channel the energy of youth, which somehow is seen to be automatically justified because it's coming from a pure soul unsullied by experience, except for this one experience. I, I mean, it, it's a lionization yeah. of youth cult that we've had for decades, and now it results in you can't say anything about these people because they're passionate. And nowadays, if you're passionate... It counts more than whether you are correct. Well, it sort of a, it sort of dovetails what I was going to just clarify on the demographic side, the eighteen to thirty nine, or sometimes it's, it's uh, eighteen twenty four. It's whatever it is. It's young. The reason that demographic is so coveted is because they are so gullible. They haven't made up their mind about what soft drink, what beer, what car, That's what right. brand That's of jeans, right. what brand of toothpaste. Older people like ah, it's I'm a crest crest. Younger people are like, well, I don't know. I could be persuaded to try something new. Um, and that's why they are so coveted because they are so easily sold to. Um, anyway, that was just my, my little two cents. Yeah, I mean I think I think also that the, the media – I'm not sure that the, that the, the, there's a prevailing air of you can't question them uh, because I don't tend to dis, – I, I don't tend to agree with a lot of what they're saying on gun control, but I happen to be – uh, I like the fact that we're hearing from them, and I and I and I want them to, you know, I, I want them to have the uh, have the floor. And um, as long as you know, we should also 
we want to engage them. In other words, welcome them to the debate, but that means uh, debate actually debating them. But I, but I do think that what you're seeing with a lot of the media is um, is that they understand what's effective. You know, that's it's you mentioned emotion, but that's that's what you know. That we talk about the myth of the rational voter. There is there's no rational voter, and you know that, that there's people do make rational decisions based on their own um, economic situation, but for the most part, people are moved by emotion and symbolism and trends and um, things that contain uh, an almost inexplicable. Um, representation of them rather than something you can just point to and say that person is like me. And that was true and that's often true with successful presidential candidates. There are exceptions, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. for the most part, the guys who are good at winning nominations and then winning the elections are, are people who appeal to voters on a visceral level and offer them something, especially in, in the West these days, in the, in the secular West, offer them some form. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Of almost religion and, and meaning beyond just policy. And that's what politics has become. But aren't parents and adults required, obligated, when they talk to children, to, to to teach them the role that emotion has and to make it not a primary one? Yes, of course, you're going to be swayed by it, but you, you, you can't give into it entirely because then you empower the people who say, let's ban the guns and hurrah, um, and let's do this broad sweeping change, hurrah, that person is passionate, things are going to be great, the crowd goes wild. But unless you teach your children to think about the ramifications of what they're saying, it, then it's it, it, – I mean that's why this is such an incredibly difficult, t- teachable moment. You have to tell your children, stop feeling as bad as you do about those kids. Stop feeling as empathetic as you do and consider rationally what can be done and what the results will be. I mean yeah, parents definitely – Parents, sorry, I was just going to say, parents definitely do. But you know, uh, if you're if you're a booker on a cable news station, you don't feel that same responsibility. No, I, I mean, I don't understand how parents can teach that when nobody seems to be doing that in the adult realm either. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that's something we've seen, especially since this last election, where people have pretty much have nervous breakdowns. And I mean, in parenting Facebook groups, I mean, you literally could write a book about how crazy people are in these groups, and it will make you feel fear for the future of humanity, that these are the people that are breeding. Mm -hmm. And there's just – there's so little rational thought these days. Um, And, I mean, that's that's how we are – where we are as a society and as a a political culture, whatever. There's – 
there's very little rational thinking and it's, it's really, um, it's really disturbing. You know, could Peter here, could I, this is a kind of, this is just occurring to me. And so bat it away if it's a stupid, I don't think it is a stupid question though. So don't bat it away. So, uh, you know, what was it, 1965 when Moynihan came out with his report on the, uh, the crisis, the crisis in the African-American mm-hmm. family? Mm-hmm. And he said the, the family is disintegrating and the out-of-wedlock birth rate was then 25% among African-Americans. Today, it's over 70% among African-Americans, over, 50, uh, over 40%, if I recall correctly, among Hispanics, well over 30% among non-Hispanic whites. And here are Bethany, who is uh, and writing wonderful stuff for Ricochet. You have a column coming out tomorrow in the New York Times. And there is Seth, who is an editor for what I consider the best city newspaper, with the possible exception of the Minneapolis Tribune wow. in America, the New York Post. And the two of you have three little kids and are making it work. I just, what do you say, what do you say, what will you say to your own kids? What do you say to kids who say, oh my goodness, how does the, how do they do it? What is the price they have to pay? And, and this, I ask one elected official after another, what do you do about the family? And you know what? Nobody has a good answer. What do you do about the family? So I, our family motto is a quote from the TV show Scrubs. And Dr. Kelso, sort of the eldest doctor um, in the in the hospital, says to to a room full of young people, "Nothing that's worth having in life comes easy," and that is our our life motto and our family motto. Um, it's really hard. We're really, really profoundly tired. <laughs> Seth has a an hour and a half commute one way, and oh. I work <laughs> work during nap times and after bedtime, and it's hard. Um, but it is so worth having. And I, I think that parenthood and marriage gets such a bad rap among our generation. People want to accomplish. I, I want to work on my career before I get married. I, and I, I don't understand why you can't be married with a career. And people say, well, I, I want to... I want to get ahead in my career before I have children. Meanwhile, I... I'm better in my career than I ever was after we had kids and after I started staying home because, and Seth is the same. It, it, it puts a hustle in you that you didn't have before when it's just the two of you or just you. Um, but I, I think that a lot of it is that marriage is hard and so people decide not to do it and kids are hard. So people decide not to do it. But even though marriage and kids are hard, they are I mean, Seth and our kids are what makes life worth living. And I'm not sure. I mean, I, I would be like trapezing the world if I didn't have a husband and kids, but it would be a far emptier life and experience. Kids are hard. Yeah, I mean, just because something is hard doesn't mean, that, you know, that that is, she's right. That, I mean, that's our family motto. But also I, I always think of uh, before, uh, right before we had our first kid, my father told me his piece of advice was, you learn to do things tired. <laughs> That was it. it wow. You know, it's, there's no. You learn. You right now. You you think a good that and wise you, man. Yeah, you just you <laughs> you learn. You you have to get up in the morning and go to work, and you will do your job. Um, and 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 we've done it. And 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 I and I think that um that 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 is the we live in a, especially now. Not to uh, go you know not to hammer the young people, but we live in this technological 
uh, time where there's an app for everything and there are these life hacks and everybody thinks there's a life hack for everything. Mm-hmm. And I think that we just, we've just gotten so used to the idea that there's got to be a life hack so that I can just have whatever I want and nothing has to change or whatever. But the truth is that there is no life hack. Being a parent is tiring and it is also without a doubt worth it and the most meaningful thing you'll ever do and it's a you know it's it's a wonderful life (laughs) but yeah yeah you have to work for it that's part of what makes things um so joyful is the effort that you put into them and the world within a world that you create you have people today who are 23 years old or so and congratulating themselves for adulting because they washed the bowl in which they made the mac and cheese in the microwave uh, you know, I look back at my dad's generation when he was 23. He'd been home for the war, from the war for four years. You know, Lord knows how many people he'd shot out of the sky on Uncle Sam's behalf. So it's a different generational set mindset. That's true. And nowadays I worry because kids are hard and cats are easy. Bethany, you got a piece in the New York Times tomorrow, which I assume a dead tree as well. Uh, tell us about it before we let you go. Yeah, it's. Um, I'm really excited about it. I'm not sure if it'll be in the Dead Tree version. I probably won't, but it'll definitely be online. Um, and I basically told the story of um, when I was a kid, uh, soon after my dad left, I was about, I think, like three or four. And um, my parents were not gun nuts, but we had a lot of guns. Um, and my parents were incredibly liberal and progressive and Green Party voters and druggies and whatever. And we, um, I was just me and my mom and I was sleeping with my bedroom window open and a guy banged his ladder in my window and started climbing up into my bedroom window. Cause that was the only open window Whoa. in our house. Wow. Yeah. And I was sleeping literally right under the window. And so I look up and I see this ladder land right, right at my face at the top of the ladder. And he starts climbing up and I started screaming and my mom heard the bang and she heard the scream and she grabbed her rifle and she grabbed a gun. She grabbed her rifle and her ammo and she started running and loading it as, as she was running. And so she walked into the room with it pretty much loaded and he gets to the top of the ladder and my mom has her, my mom was such a, she was such a bad, you know what? And she had her rifle loaded and pointed at him and she said, Bethany, Get behind me. I don't want you to get his brain matter on your face. And oh, wow. she, man. No, I, I think we could say badass. I think we could yeah. say badass. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. She was Whoa. amazing. She once, a guy, uh, a, a pickpocket tried to pickpocket her in New York when we were at the theater district, and she beat the crap out of him. Like, Whoa. my mom was 105 pounds of, like, pure badass. And so she had her gun pointed at him and he started to go down the ladder as he should. And my mom walked over to him still with the rifle in her hands. And she took her hand um, off the barrel and grabbed the ladder as he was going down. And she said, the next time I'm not going to hesitate. And she shook the ladder. Like if, and if she had pushed the ladder, he would have broken his back. And she just shook the ladder and she looked at him. And that was, that was having a gun in the house turn that story into like this amazing, like empowering, badass story when it would have been a really tragic thing that would have happened to me. And it would have, it would have changed me in a much different way. Um, and so having a gun to me always meant empowerment and being able to protect myself and protect my family. And so when we had kids, I told Seth, well, we have to have a gun. You have to have a gun in the house if you have kids. And it's so counterintuitive to so many 
probably right. New York Times readers that that would be, <laughs> you know, when you have kids, you get a crib, you get a gun. <laughs> it doesn't quite yep. equate. But I mean, we we are gun owners now. And a lot of it is because of that story. And because, I mean, Seth works long hours and I know that I can protect myself. Um, and that is invaluable. And And it's not just some sort of potentially one day this could happen. It, it did happen. And my mom saved, saved us. I don't, I don't know what would have happened had we not had the gun. We would have been barricaded in a bedroom um, crying hysterically on the phone to 911. And it would have taken them a while to get there because we lived in a pretty rural town. Mm-hmm. If either uh, you... what, what kind of gun? You, you mind my asking what, what kind of gun was it? My mom's gun? Yeah. I don't remember. I, I know it wasn't a I, I know it was a rifle, but it wasn't a shotgun. Um, I don't okay. remember what kind of gun it was. If both of you had been assaulted, that would have been the story about the the difficulty of being a woman in a patriarchal uh, rape culture. <laughs> if, the, if 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 you had if your stories had not been told and the guy had been caught and gone to prison and twenty years later was a poetical advocate for some kind of reform, yeah. he would have he would have been the hero of the story. When you introduce the gun into it and you say to horrified liberals, "Thank God my mother had a gun," all of a sudden you become that thing, that story, that anomaly. Oh, am I going to have to hear about a story where somebody used right. a gun to keep which the stories they hate because they believe that there are about four or five or six of them in the history of gun ownership um and the ones that are acceptable are the ones that are done by women the badassery yeah you look at i mean godless this western that netflix came out is all about single strong pioneer frontier women what with their guns keeping the things right um, that kind of story they might they might they might let you tell and might be acceptable because it's empowering. But for the rest of it, I mean, they hate these things because it suggests that guns are primarily used by ordinary people for self defense, and that just simply can't be the case. That's the I mean. So yeah, good luck. Good, good luck. I can't wait to see the reaction to the New York Times. But by the way, one little uh, textual analysis here. I now see Seth knows what kind of woman. Bethany was raised by, and it just has to add a little bite to her requests to put the eggs away properly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I have a feeling you should really, really take a little bit more time with those eggs, Seth. That's my advice. (laughs) What I can understand is is where are you putting them exactly? Because there's a specific place (laughs) in the fridge where the eggs go. Are you putting them in the freezer upside down or something? Come on, Seth. I we had this, this. This was on on Twitter the other day, actually, when some when people were talking about how you how you take eggs out of the uh, out of the carton, and I I um, just take the same equal numbers from each end to make sure that they that the that that the carton itself maintains its equilibrium. See, Bethany has him so rattled that now he's turned eggs into a science. That's what's <laughs> oh going on. Yeah, now so we understand annoying. how the marriage works. Her husband lives in fear, of course. Oh, no, well, no, it's, right. it's, it's the opposite. It's the opposite. Bethany hates that I do this this stuff, but this is just I to me there there is just there is real there is beauty in egg equilibrium. I take eggs very seriously. And that is I how she sees you know, she she fears that the way I put eggs back, they're gonna come all tumbling out or whatever to create obstacles for her. But I, I told her I don't coddle eggs. I, I'm with you there, Seth. This morning when I got the eggs out, somebody had taken them all from one side and not the other. 
The cart was unbalanced. It wobbled in my hand. I could barely control it. It was out of control, it seemed. And I thought I was going to lose all the eggs, but I managed to grasp it firmly and bear it over to the counter. Okay, the people who are balancing out the eggs specifically to avoid that kind of situation are crazy. Just let me say that. <laughs> yeah, I think, it's a mar- I, think, I think this is a marriage in trouble. I've got to be honest. Yeah, it's a little thing, but it's uh, I don't know. I don't well, know. you can hear it all dissolve, everybody, at the at the Sethany Show. That Sethany Show, which you can catch at Ricochet, also the Lady Brains podcast as well. Bethany and Seth Mandel, and we're going to let you get back to everything you got to do because today, of course, you've got the whole day ahead. What are you going to do? You going to take the kids to the zoo? You're going to go out and play football, Kennedy style? What is it? Uh, what's on the agenda for this wonderful Sunday? The kids are going to a Purim carnival. It's a, like a Jewish Halloween kind right. of. And we're going to a carnival. Oh, well, wonderful fun. Thanks. We'll listen to you. We'll read you on the, sh- on the uh, on Ricochet. We'll follow you on Twitter, etc. And thanks, thanks for dropping by the podcast today. Thank you. Thanks, Thank guys. You. There's so much we should have gotten to, um, and we'll get to them next time. But then again, if you follow their tweets, you find a lot of stuff. Seth had one the other day where he said that humorlessness is the defining feature of American politics. I want to ask you guys about that because whether or not it's always been so or whether or not that we are in a uniquely humorless area because there are times when, frankly, you wish and sometimes you realize that there's nothing like a good quip to realize. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lighten the atmosphere in, a, in, in the public mood, but you don't get it. Unless, of course, you redefine Quip to mean the new electric toothbrush that just packs the right amount oh, of vibrations. Oh, wow. You think about I want to tell you about that. won't even interrupt that. It's brilliant. If you like copper, for example, I, I know this is completely irrelevant, thinking about your toothpaste, your toothbrush is a fashion object, but this thing I, that I love, it's so beautiful in its silver style and its copper style that it's a joy to pick it up. We were talking before about the way the people like to weight their, their eggs in the carton. There's something so perfectly balanced and engineered about the Quip that everything but using it is a joy. Now, when you use, it's not just every ordinary electric toothbrush. You can go and get those for four or five bucks, right? What this one does, besides being the fact that it's slim and looks good, it's got these guiding pulses that tell you when to switch sides. That's right. It goes zzz, 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 which means I'm done with that side. Let's go over here. So you get the right amount of brushing effortlessly comes with a mount that suctions right to your mirror, and it'll unstick so you can use it as a cover for hygienic travel anywhere. You know how you sometimes get a toothbrush and you put it in the bag and afterwards, eh. No, you don't have that problem with a quip. And because the thing that cleans your mouth, this is the most important part, it ought to be clean, right? If your mouth's going to be clean, your brush ought to be clean. Well, Quip's subscription plan refreshes your brush on a dentist-recommended schedule. That's right. No waiting for the brushes and the bristles to splay out. They deliver new brush heads every three months for just $5, and that includes free shipping worldwide. Quip is backed by a network of over 10,000 dental professionals, including dentists, hygienists, and dental students. And they realize that most toothbrushes don't get named one of Time Magazine's best inventions of the year, but Quip did. Find out why. Quip starts at just $25. If you go to quip.com slash ricochet, right now you'll get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash ricochet. That's spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash ricochet. And our thanks to Quip for sponsoring this, the Ricochet Podcast. And by the way, yes, I have one. 
I had it before we started sponsoring this. I love it. All right, um, Rob, what have you been up to? I, I, I know that you've probably been giving Peter updates, you know, all the time. But really, what have you been up to? <laughs> As he runs back to the microphone. That's a, PD, that's a PDQ Bach on the air spot right there. Um, Rob, yes, we were talking about you, but since you obviously yes, checked no, I was on the, I was on mute, and I, I'm using a little a new Skype, and I can't tell – when when the thing is white, it's on, and then sometimes when it looks like the other icons, it means it's off, which doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Nothing you said made sense to me right there. So I'll ask you. Um, we're going to ask you what you've been up to. But we know you're doing this little television thing. Let's go right back into the news and talk about uh, tariffs. Do you think we're going to get them? Do you think that this is going to happen or anybody's going to stand in front of it? And where does that uh, go down the road? And after that, Peter, you. Tariff question, same thing. <laughs> well, the Go tariff question—the tariff question is strange because, in terms of steel and aluminum, the only the only country—I shouldn't say the only countries, but the countries it, it has the most uh, deleterious effect on are our largest trading partners, like Canada. Um, and so, I, I can't imagine that it will continue. Um, I can't imagine that it will continue that that they'll actually go through and not simply spark some kind of uh, complicated uh, back down from the Trump administration. It really has no effect on China. China's not really much of a of, of an exporter of steel or aluminum to us. They 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 use a lot of it, but they don't really export it. So it, it, it's a very strange kind of um uh you know hairpin turn there on what we thought the the uh Trump administration trade policy was going to be, which was essentially focused on China, uh, and then somehow it becomes about something else. Uh, you know, uh, 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 tariffs are those things that that everybody imposes. I mean, George W. imposed it, and 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 Barack Obama imposed it, and of course Trump's going to impose them. Uh, it, it did just with washing machines and solar uh, panels. I mean. Everyone does it, but usually it's done quietly so that uh, it's it's part of a longer negotiation, a very quiet poker game. And But the Trump administration doesn't do anything quietly. So a lot of this stuff, I think, I hope, because I'm against all you know, this kind of trade war, a lot of this stuff is simply the Trump version of old stuff. And the Trump version of old stuff is loud and brash and a little bit ugly and you know irritating because of its um, incredibly unsubtle way, but it's essentially the same thing, right? So when he put tariffs on on uh, solar panels and washing machines, they, they were these were just extensions um, and reciprocal extensions of Obama tariffs that everybody had forgotten he'd done because he kind of did it quietly. But mm-hmm. Trump doesn't do anything quietly, so. Uh, it, it, the, the noise factor is what a lot of people think is the downside of these kind of tariffs because the louder you, the louder you scream and yell, the harder it is to to back down later. I'm not sure I buy that a hundred percent. I mean, I'm against tariffs, so I'm against this stuff, but I think it's going to go away. And I'm not sure it's the worst thing in the world every now and then to um, rattle the uh, rattle the saber and the scabbard. But uh, in terms of steel and aluminum, I think it's a you know. If we're going to be a manufacturing country, we're going to have to import a lot of that stuff. So, yeah. Uh, uh, by the way, since I seem to have totally unintentionally, um, I never woke up one morning and said, "You know, I'm going to be on the Ricochet podcast. I'm going to be the guy who sticks up for Trump." Uh, anyway, on this one, I'm not sticking up for Trump. The idea of imposing t- tariffs 
particularly tariffs as steep as the, these, 25% on steel, 10% on aluminum, is crazy. Free trade benefits everybody over the longer term. There are losers in the short term, but there are other things that we can do to help those people who are harmed in the short term by free trade. And this is – Trump, of course, has been loud and vulgar and a boor and a loud and saying ridiculous things on Twitter. This is the first policy that if they actually do go ahead and put it into effect, I will just say is absolutely, utterly flat wrong. Just plain wrong. As boneheaded in policy as on the tweets. Yeah, right. All of that said, and then the reason it's boneheaded, I, I agree with everything Rob said. Um, I guess I'd make one point. I'd emphasize one point, which is that we have to deal with Iran. We have to deal with Russia. The question of the day and for the next decade and maybe for the rest of our lives is China. The Iran spends a about at 1% or 2% as much on defense as we do. Russia's about 10%. China's already at over 50% and going up to 60% in a single digit number of years. China is a, a rising power threatening us and we will want our allies in, in figuring out, in dealing with China. And you slap on these, you even talk about slapping on these tariffs and you are precisely right, Rob. The people at Rattles Far more than those in Beijing are those in Ottawa and London and Paris and Berlin, the, the, our allies. So, um, so get Charlie allies. Stikes on the phone because I want to dump on Trump. Well, two points. That's the dumping I'm in favor of at the moment. One, as far as our allies go in, in, in needing to face the, the Chinese peril, I agree. We're going to need that fearsome, mighty Canadian uh, military and, the, and the, the German power in case we need to deploy it. I mean, Germany's recent report on its armed forces is pathetic. They, they, their tanks don't work. Their helicopters don't work. I mean, they haven't funded and paid for it in years. And as a consequence, the people we now want for our allies to combat Russia, Iran, and China – have only soft power, and I have the feeling that soft power evaporates very quickly, like rubbing alcohol on the skin the moment that it actually is needed. I mean, Iran, I agree with you, Peter. China in the long term is a threat, but not necessarily an enemy yet. Uh, Iran, on the other hand, uh, when we're seeing what's playing out in the Middle East right now, how quickly could Iran go nuclear? How quickly could they strap something on one of those medium-range intercontinental ICBMs? How quickly could they decide, hey, you know what? Uh, the revolution culminates in the glorious chaos that brings the 12th Imam climbing up the well. Let's do this thing. I mean, that I'm more worried about short-term than I am China. And long-term, yes, we need our allies. But to me, the idea that we need the tariffs on aluminum, like this little can I'm crushing here in my hand, <laughs> is crazy. So, but he said he was going to do this. And even though it may tank some sections of the economy, the economy in general are going to be better. So i got to ask you, Peter, do you think that Hillary would have been better? Because now you're one of those people who has – this is your line here, right? This is the point where some of us were back here, got to the point where we weren't crazy about it. Now aren't you in danger of being called a cuck and a rhino and a defeatist <laughs> and somebody who's enabling the other side? You're just like one of those Salon <laughs> 25 bloggers. Um, you're up there with Crystal and the other frowny face alpha male. I mean, believe me, just welcome to the club. That's all I'm saying. Come over here, sit down. Down. It's nice and warm. We've got cookies. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Save some chocolate chip cookies and a warm glass of milk for me.
Yeah. Well, the question is that that's a good question because it it, it does what, whether Hillary that, would have been better. What sorry? Well, what's the good well, question? what whether the the trade policy of a Democrat, but whether a, a a Hillary Clinton policy would have been reflexively free trade, and I think that's no, um, don't think so. I, I think it probably would I have think been it would have. Obama level free trade, but I think it, it would have been exactly. It was one of the reasons why she was so uh, loathed, I think, by a huge part of her own Democratic constituency. Was that well, she, she, she? She was she, a corporatist, a go-along, get-along. She yeah. was just like her her husband, who was basically a centrist Democrat. But the, but she she too opposed the trans the TPP Trans Pacific something or other whatever it was called. So she came out against the uh, TPP. She at least during the campaign. So the I campaign. get the point. Yeah. Corporatist, yes, okay. So who knows how she would have behaved, and I grant your argument. But during the campaign, she was anti-free trade. Not Nobody was as vividly anything as Donald Trump, but she was anti-free trade during the campaign. But, but she went from being in favor of it to being against it. It was, it was so clearly a political move. Yes, that's, that, and, yeah. and this is the one consistent point in Trump's political life over three decades, I guess, right? Yeah, he's, he's always yeah. had this the, had, had, protectionism. Had trade. Yeah, protectionism, which is what you do when your main business is essentially licensing and and, uh, and software, essentially, or or intellectual property, where you, it's very hard to it's very hard to measure the import export value of intellectual property because it's just the way people. What, what is the Trump name when you export the Trump name? What's it worth, right? When you export. Oh, that's five that's uh, shipping containers of, of steel. It doesn't. So people, people on that side of things tend to have a very complicated view of, or not, or, or I should say, an uncomplicated view of trade that is basically wrong. But you understand how they got there. I mean, you know, right. Trump made a lot of money, but didn't export or build it, or didn't didn't export, didn't make anything and export it, didn't import anything made somewhere else. It's just his name. Just um, intangible. You're, you're but, quite right. I, I, yeah. Yeah. No, I was just no. Go on, Rob. You go on with the point. I, well, I, no, I was, I was going to say going to say that that the the problem with the with, with the problem with all of this is that is that nobody, we, we no, but none of our politicians. I mean, and I think Hillary Clinton's a perfect example of that. She knew the right thing, which was that TPP is better than no TPP. Um, but yet she couldn't articulate it in its brutal honesty. Right. If you're going to be honest about trade, you have to be brutally honest about trade. Mm-hmm. And to be brutally honest about trade means that's, uh, that this comp- you know, comparative advantage of some places and other places don't have it. And that manufacturing on the size and scale with which the United States used to do it, where we had this gigantic industrial machine that was essentially uh, you know, run by a, a five, three or four big companies and, three, and one or two giant trade unions, is simply not going to come back. You, you cannot pass it tariff to tax the future, right? You can't build a right. wall to keep tomorrow out. This isn't going to happen. And you can't, you're not allowed to say that. You know, Mitt Romney has to say, those jobs are coming back. And so does Donald Trump and so did uh, Barack Obama. And then Hillary Clinton had to say, I, I think TPP is terrible. But the truth is that the future, the American future isn't going to be written in um, large, inefficient manufacturing. It's going to be written in small, nimble manufacturing that uh, our uh, as a portion of our workforce is just not prepared to do. But yes. you, you can't just pass a law and say, okay, well, we'll change back. You can't do that. The, the Smokestack Restoration Act, 
you know, which builds large, huge, <laughs> right. messy, hot Bessemer right. furnaces built with, with, with smokestack. No, you're right. And Hillary Clinton, as much as I can stand her, probably did have a pragmatist attitude toward trade and knew that it was going to be bad for her when it came with, with the increasing leftist shift of her demographic. So she has to – if we right. find anything, it will be that those 30,000 emails that she got rid of all had to do with how wonderful NAFTA was. But how do you how – do you, if you've got 30,000 emails, that means you probably have 150,000 emails. Now, how do you deal with them? How do you sort? How do you figure out what's in there? What's needed? Same literally box. impossible. Beautiful. Literally impossible. No, 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 no. That's why I'm here to tell you about same box. <laughs> I am. Now I got in my email box today the rundown for this show, and it came bubbling right to the top for a variety of reasons. But the first of all is because I've got same box. If you're like me, making time to manage your emails is pretty much the last thing you want to do. Sifting through all the junk to keep up with the important stuff, it's tedious. Well, that's why SaneBox is, is, is a lifesaver, frankly. It's the easiest way to automatically organize your inbox and keep it that way forever. SaneBox sorts your emails for you, keeps the unimportant email out of your inbox, so you can focus on the stuff that matters. With SaneBox, you can spend hours every week scanning through hundreds of emails without it, I mean. But if you do have it, you know... You don't miss the important things. It's such a waste of time to try to find them manually. But SaneBox, the junk is out of sight. So you only see the essential stuff, saving time and energy so you can get back to the important things. Well, like listening to the show, for example. It takes less than five minutes to get Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Inbox set up, and after that, keeping your email organized takes minutes, not hours. Rob, you got it, right? I love Sanebox. I love it. I have never missed an email that I needed, but more importantly, I have never been forced to read an email that I didn't have to read. <laughs> yes. It's like the, the level of – and I, I just don't understand why it's not – not, there's not that for everything. Like I, I don't understand why I don't have that for like you know people and <laughs> and stuff. Like I, I I'd like to send people to my sane later or sane black hole. Right? I mean, I, I wish. I wish. The black hole function that he mentions. Drop something in there, you're never going to hear from that domain again. It's remarkable how little time I spend dealing with people from Nigeria who are convinced that I'm the guy to help the prince move his money. Uh, that's not a metaphor. Uh, if you've been meaning to get your email organized and get on top of it, because you know you hate email, don't you? Everybody practically hates it until you get SaneBox, because then it's something easy. $25 credit on top of the two-week free trial. Go to SaneBox.com slash ricochet. Start your trial. No credit card required. That's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash ricochet. One more time. That's SaneBox.com slash ricochet. Oh, you'll thank us. SaneBox. Clean up your inbox in minutes and keep it that way forever. Well, before we go, um, you know, it's a little late for by the time the Oscars are done, people will be listening to this. Um, I would just like to ask you both, in the general meta sense, whether the Oscars matter the same way they do. It used to be time of glamour, beauty, all of the wonderful sophistication of Hollywood coming out. And now you kind of wince because it's going to get political. And it, it's going to get hectoring. It's going to wag its fingers and it's not going to be any fun. Yeah, that for sure. I'm with you on that. Who wants to watch it? 
fewer people. I don't want to. Well, Rob may have a professional obligation. We'll hear what he says in a moment. But the movies don't matter in the way that they used to. And I'm not making some big, vague market point. It happened that returning from Washington to California, I have six and a half hour flight. I'm always too fried when I come home even to read. So I downloaded a bunch of movies and I also downloaded a couple of series, televisions. For, and you know what? I found myself watching the TV series. It's just better. Sure. It's more engrossing. The, even Absolutely. the production values seem high. I know. And it's so, 12 hours long. As, yes, I mean, exactly. You can watch it incrementally, but as opposed to a two-hour movie that that is, well, what it is, you have extraordinary attention to period details and great storytelling and a prestige yes, series that's, that's yes, much yes, better yes. than movies. Right. And I tried out of a sense of duty. I tried to watch The Post. And you know, it felt like a time warp. The storytelling, yeah. the story was old, but the storytelling was old. Well, okay, Rob is the professional on this, but right. I just, I just feel as though the movies are slipping away as a cultural matter. Well, I mean, they're not slipping away. They're, they're just, they're morphing into something else. I mean, the yes, biggest movie yes. in the world is the Black Panther, and Black Panther people love, and people have assigned it a lot of cultural meaning whether it has it or not is separate uh, is irrelevant what's important is that a, a big fat movie is a big fat cultural thing but you, nobody can afford to make big fat movies and over and over and over again you can only make a few big fat movies a year and then then pretty soon you know you you make one that, that dies and that's the that's 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 the high wire act of movie making a, a, sl- a slower, longer story in, in series television, you know, whether it's 12 episodes or 15 episodes or 1,000 episodes, um, you're just more forgiving and your relationship to your audience is just fundamentally different. I mean the, the, the economics of, of movies are we get your money before you see the thing, mm-hmm. right? And when, by the time you get inside the movie theater, you've already spent money and time. you figured out where you're going to go and you maybe had a park and maybe you had to get a babysit, whatever it is. You went right. out and you put, gave them the $20 and you sat in a theater and then the movie started. And so your tendency is to gravitate to sort of big, fat value movies. Like we're, I'm going to see a movie that people are talking about. It's got a lot of noise to it and it has some crazy special effects because I've made a big effort to see this picture. Right, right. Movie, right uh, television, right. Uh, you know what? You know, I cracked open a bottle of wine. I had worked hard all day and put my feet up and I'm going to scroll around or maybe I'm excited because I get to watch two episodes of this continuing series that I'm interested in. And that is a different experience. That's a just a, the, and people are more have always been more friendly towards the latter than the former because you can only put up with so much spectacle, um, and I, I and I think that's what's happened. That's I mean, here's the the touchdown. The biggest classiest movie star in the world is Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep is by law, federal law, required to be nominated for an Oscar every year. <laughs> and, and whether she and makes she a often, picture or not. Right. And she often wins, right? She's you know she's up tonight. She's gonna be up for an Oscar tonight. Now everybody thinks that she's not gonna win, but I think she's gonna win because the law is you gotta nom- you gotta give the Oscar to Meryl Streep. Um she is doing series television in a year. Now she's doing it on HBO and she's doing it with Reese Witherspoon and Nicole Kidman. And she's you know she's doing it in a in a setting, a jewel-like setting for a person with the prestige and the and the honors of Meryl Streep. But once you do that, once Meryl Streep appears on your small screen right. on a TV show, that's what it is. Pretty Little Lies Two is a TV show. Right. Um, it's all over for features. I mean, it's not all over, but it's all over for the kind of movies that you guys remember or that I love mm-hmm. that we like to watch because they're just not making those anymore. So, so Rupert Murdoch is selling 21st Century to Fox at Disney to Disney at just the right moment. Um, 
Well, no, he's selling 20, 21st Century Fox to Disney um, because he, I mean, th- that sale is not, he's not getting rid of an asset. He's combining it with a better manager. He's, yeah. com- you know, he could not yeah. afford to buy uh, Time Warner when he wanted to buy it. He could not afford to buy anything. He could only afford to sell and retain a huge piece of the resulting company. Right. right. So he's basically sold his thing to, to the smartest the smartest guy in, in, in show business, Bob Iger, who makes continually makes gigantic, big, fat movies, Star Wars and Black Panther. He owns Marvel and Lucasfilm and the Disney and the, and picks all the Pixar movies, plus theme parks, plus uh, one uh, now two TV networks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he has placed a lot of money and a lot of chips on show business, both big, big movies and on series television. Um that uh, I think is probably going to pay off big. I mean, he now owns one of the largest uh, streaming services, Hulu. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, which is losing huge amounts of money, but we'll see. One, uh, I've been trying to get people to watch a show called Babylon Berlin, and once they find out that it has subtitles, a lot of them check out. Because their experience in watching something is to do something else at the same time. Um, they're checking their uh, email or they're, point, scro- they're scrolling to Twitter feed or something like that. And a lot of these shows let you do that. The ones that don't, I find, are the ones that are the most rewarding. Uh, if you have to read subtitles, you have to pay attention. I, I mean, right. that's, that's, what is, that's challenging television nowadays, ones that you actually have to do some reading. But, Rob, when you said that as soon – I mean, it, it brings to mind the Gloria Swanson line from Sunset Boulevard. The movies are getting smaller, and we like it a lot because what it did was made an old – it made the television medium, which was always the, the, the poor second cousin to the movies, it made it step up its game. And now television is incredible. It's a golden age again. But when you said the big movies that we like are no longer going to be made, what do you mean exactly? Because did somebody just get tasered? I'm sorry. No, that was me. Sorry. I'm still okay. here. All right. Because the movies, that I, the movies that I recall that I enjoyed the most in the theater were the spectacles, even if it was just soil and green. It was the big – I mean everyone went to see Kramer versus Kramer. It made something like you know, $350 million in modern money. But is there really a lot of attention, appetite nowadays for serious emotional dramas of that sort? No, that's what no. I mean. I mean, the, I mean th- those but, movies aren't going to get made because there's, no, they, 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 there's no price point to make them efficiently. You know, a movie's $50 million, and then you got to get it into the theaters, and then to get people out of their houses into the theaters is another, you know, you double the budget, basically. Right. And mm-hmm. at that point, it's just, I mean, remember, getting people to do something is hard. So the, the, the trick for movie making has always been get the screen closer to the person, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when movies were, you know, when, when there were movie theaters everywhere, and movies were the only thing, and everybody went to see two, three movies a week, and they were 50 cents, and... In the old days, that was great. And then around the early 60s, in the mid-60s, the movie business just collapsed. And nobody could figure out why it collapsed. And the reason it collapsed was because the audience had moved to the suburbs. And getting them to go back in town and right. drive and park, and this town was scary, and there was crime and riots, and you get mugged. They just didn't want to do it. So they, and so, so they watched television. It wasn't like they turned away from movies. They just watched TV because they didn't want to go see a movie. And then when they started building the multiplexes in the suburbs, those you know the the, the twelve, fifteen screen uh, big complexes uh, and shopping malls, um, guess what? Blockbusters happened. J- Jaws happened. Star Wars happened. Close encounter. All, all the blockbusters happened in the seventies, right? Because we moved the screens close to the people. 
but they they also tried in the 60s to bring people back with road shows, with huge Cinerama, yeah. Panavision, Todd AOVision, widescreen things where it would be an event where you would have to go. And I'll, I'll stop with this because we've got to wrap up here. On Thursday, I went to see this film festival of young persons' movies at the Walker Arts Center because my daughter had a couple of pieces in it. Oh, wonderful. And yeah, she's part of the WACTEC, as they call it, the Walker Arts Center Teen Act Arts Committee. And they had a couple of movies in this thing. And a lot, I mean, it, it, the quality of these things ranged from here's your participation trophy, nice job, Pat, in the head, to hmm, these people actually might make a go of this when they, when they age. Because high schoolers have the tools right now that exceed the tools that Greg Toland had when he was starting out and making movies in 1929, 1930. And they've also grown up with a whole visual right. vocabulary. And so they know innately, or at least they ought to, how pacing works, how to, how to compose a shot. In one of these little videos, which had, in one point, execrable acting, horrible, unbelievable plot twists, but really nice composition of shots, great lighting, there was a drone shot. And they used it very sparingly, and they had the drone capture two of the characters running yeah. across a verdant green field. That shot, which, the, which these teenage right, which was easy, yeah. these teenagers could come up with, was beyond the ken and capabilities of some of the greatest filmmakers ever. So these guys have extraordinary tools, and and they can and the cost of doing this is nil practically. Right. And they can right. put it on Vimeo, and they get a link from io9, or they get a link from BuzzFeed, and the next thing you know, more mm-hmm. people have seen their little movie, which isn't even their right. job; it's their hobby. Right. So while I don't, dis- I do despair about the blockbusterization and the infantilization of audiences as we get one more mindless blockbuster after the other, and we end up discussing politics of Black Panther as opposed to a serious, you know, Scorsese movie or an Arthur Hill movie. It is still uh, an era of tremendous opportunity and possibilities, and as, as it will change, I, you know, if we lose that medium level. Kramer versus Kramer movie. I'm willing to give that up in exchange for the democratization and the rise. I of- could not, I could not agree more. But I don't think we're giving up those smaller pictures or that smaller stories. I should say, we're just seeing them on the smaller screen that has moved from downtown movie palace to the suburb cinerama. You know, the multiplex to the living room. Boys and boys, yes, I know you want to wrap it closer. Uh, to you, to, to the two of you from whom I take all my cultural cues, a simple yes or no question. Uh, is Black Panther an assignment? Must I see it? It feels like it to me. It really does. Uh, well, I think it might be, but I haven't seen it. But I, Oh, you I haven't? Oh, I just assume. Okay, you've been working not. too hard. All I right. haven't yet. But I suspect that what you'll go see it and you go, oh, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a superhero picture. And it's like yeah, got a little yeah. bit of a twist. So it's slightly more interesting because they're now – it looks different and it's slightly different. But – I don't think it's, uh, you know. Look, if if you're if you're if if this kind of thing speaks to you, if you like superhero movies okay. and you want to see a slightly different one, I think you should see it. If you don't if you like, I'm, you're not going to like it if you don't like the superhero movies. That's for yeah, sure. No, no, no. Yeah. I guess the distinction I'm getting at is that it's just another movie, or is this a cultural moment? Something you just have to be aware of. It, something you should be aware of that's out there. The, the fact that it's a cultural moment is deeply irritating because <laughs> it's right. just a super. Superhero picture it's with a black a guy picture. in it. I mean, let's not go crazy, but people are going crazy because it's a superhero picture with a black guy in it, and you're like, ah, okay. 
You know, no, it's a, it, it, it's a vision of what Africa would have been if there had been no European colonization, is what I'm told by some. It's a vision of economic self-empowerment. Um, it is a vision, some say, of what happens when you pursue Trump policies and wall your country off, allow no immigration, and control tightly the one natural resource that you have. I mean, so apparently it's a Rorschach test into which everyone can pour everything. And I oughtn't to so say you should Rorschach. Definitely see it, Peter. You should definitely see it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. I will. Let- Lady, when, and when, we'll, the two of you, when the two of you are when, – when it's a unanimous decision, I always do what you tell me. <laughs> Almost always. <laughs> next week, next week, Peter Robinson will be reporting back on Black Panther, which is uh, one of those <laughs> – No, no, no. Just, I'm going to wait until it shows up in iTunes and I can download it here at home. <laughs> there you go. There you All go. right. That's oh, the long wait. It's a long wait. It's making a lot of money. Of this, the whiteness of this and the blackness of that, once put in close proximity, will generate enough energy, I think, to achieve a warp bubble throughout the entire <laughs> ricochet. Exactly right. it'll, it'll be hey, it, will only, it can only result in Peter Robinson in a dashiki. That's right. <laughs> All right, boys. So we'll meet the newly woke Peter next week. But in the meantime, we want to thank you. Um, thanks to Texture. Thanks to Quip. And thanks to Samebox. There will be a next week because they keep the show going. Sponsors like them. Support them for supporting us. And also um, support Ricochet. Rob Wright. That's what, what's, what's our new podcast listener tier here? You want to know. Oh, you see, I start talking. I start talking the the details of, of commerce. and. Oh, my God. I, I did it again. I did the stupid app. It is uh, it, the podcast. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Best listeners tier. Listeners tier. It's $2.50 a month. Um, it will support everything, including the uh, um, Beth and and Seth's fantastic podcast and will help us grow and become what we want to become, which is nothing less than the 24-7 on-demand and streaming alternative to National Public Radio. Smart and center right. Rights. That's a great idea. And you also, if you want to make this happen, go to iTunes, leave a review. And uh, we've, we've managed to convince Rob to stop creating false accounts and logging in and t- giving us five stars because no, no, that never happened and it never would. No, we want you, the listener, to do it because that makes more people discover us and keeps the show going. It's all part of the ongoing churn of commerce and joy and your contributions and the rest of it. Uh, so, Rob, you going to be here next week with us or it was just like a, a once in a year experience here? No, I'm gonna. I'm. I'm back. I'm gonna. I'm trying to get back. I'd like to be back next week. Uh, yes, plan on it. Fantastic. I'll do it. I'll do it. But I mean, right. I'm, I'm. I'm in on hiatus starting a week from today. So yes. All right, everyone who is part of the Ricochet family, go to the comments and welcome him back. And if you don't want to welcome Rob back in the comments, uh, you're lying to yourself. Join so you can. Thanks, guys. We'll see everybody in the comments at Ricochet 3.0 next, next week, fellas. Sit
psychiatrist and says doc uh my brother's crazy he thinks he's a chicken and uh the doctor says well why don't you turn him in and the guy says i would but i need the eggs well i guess that's pretty much now how i feel about relationships you know they're totally irrational and crazy and absurd and but uh i guess we keep going through it because uh, most of us need the eggs (laughs) 